You're listening to Trump 101, the podcast where we document how our new president is affecting universities in America. My name is Katie Ward. I'm a senior media studies major. My name is Gabriel Greshler. I'm a sophomore politics major. I'm Raquel Gonzalez, a senior media studies major. And my name is Ali DeFazio, senior politics major. We're for our students who had a simple idea one day. Show the personal side of those affected by President Trump. For better or worse. Tune in for a new episode every Wednesday. This week, we had the honor to sit down and talk to University of San Francisco President Paul Fitzgerald, a Jesuit priest. Although Father Fitzgerald has experience living, working, and studying abroad, he is a Californian at heart. So I grew up in the Santa Clara Valley, um, went to Santa Clara University, graduated in 1980. I've been a Jesuit uh, for 35 years and have been happily here at USF for about three years. So would you mind sharing your general feelings towards our new president? Well, uh, you know, obviously this is the most unconventional president we've had since probably Andrew Jackson and uh, held no elected office uh, prior to the presidency, didn't serve in the military. uh, And so, you know, comes to this uh, with just, you know, such a radically different uh, preparation. And and we see, you know, in these first... um, weeks in office that uh, he is having a very difficult time learning how Washington, D.C. works and learning how to work with Congress and uh, understanding the role of the judiciary in, in our constitutional government. So it's, uh, it's been a rough start, uh, but, you know, we continue to hope that, you know, his cabinet and congressional leaders and the courts will keep us uh, moving within the boundaries set by, the, uh, by our Constitution. Are there any particular um, orders or pieces of legislation that he's put into effect that you have strong feelings about? Well, you, you know, one of the things I'm most concerned about would be our most vulnerable students, and those would be our, our DACA students. Uh, so far, he has not uh, rescinded President Obama's executive order around deferred action for childhood arrivals. And actually, Mr. Trump has spoken positively about it a couple of times. But you have some absolutely incredible kids i would say mostly they were brought here in such a way it's a very it's a very very tough subject we are going to deal with daca with heart i went online the other day and looked and the forms are still up and students can renew their status um you know i'm i would caution students from initiating a petition at this point uh, but students who've already got daca status and need to renew their work permits um I think at this point, we would encourage them to do so. Throughout the 2016 campaign, Trump rallied on bringing back jobs within the coal industry, a sector the Obama administration put heavy restrictions on. On March 28, 2017, the Trump administration signed the Energy Independence Executive Order, which rolled back many of the environmental protections President Obama put in place. Uh, Other things, you know, I'm very concerned about what this new administration is going to do to roll back some of the progress we made on the environment, uh, the Paris Accords, and, uh, you know, the very positive things that were put in place over the past eight years uh, to save us, to to mitigate the bad effects of climate change that are already happening all around us. And uh, I'm worried that uh, this new administration may remove some of those safety features and 
you know, accelerate the degradation of our, of our, of our climate. Two weeks after the presidential election, Father Fitzgerald was interviewed on CNN to discuss how the new administration could impact DACA students. I would hope that our university as a whole, including uh, St. Ignatius Church, would, would be a, a refuge. Uh, but the real refuge has to be the hearts of all of our citizens who make this choice that we be a, a nation of immigrants and that we be hospitable. Father Paul Fitzgerald from the University of San Francisco, thank you for joining me this morning. Thank you, Ms. Costello. And uh, going off of what you're saying, you're really concerned about DACA students. What steps um, for people who aren't aware is USF taking specifically to protect these students? Well, USF has done a variety of things right away, prioritizing, first of all, um, there are DACA students and about, there are about 80 students. Uh, undergraduate and graduate, uh, giving them priority access to counseling and psychological services, giving them pr priority access to CASA so they can get answers to questions, uh, they can get help. Um, our, our legal, uh, our immigration law clinic in the School of Law, uh, as well as we've steered them there, we've also steered them towards other uh, legal clinics across the city uh, to help I don't know our particular number, but about 15% of DACA students nationwide actually have uh, pathways, other pathways open to them to change their status and get a, get a stronger uh, a foothold in this, you know, often the only country they've ever known because they came here at such a young age. Um, and then, you know, the, uh, we put together this Magis uh, scholarship, uh, which we'll award in the fall for the first time. Um, and... Uh, so, but, you know, we're going to have to look at all kinds of financial aid for our DACA students. If, for example, they lose their, their work permits, uh, we're, we're going to have to make sure that they have what they need to, to survive. What if the administration uh, one day, since, you know, he's in a, yeah, maybe erratic, impulsive, um, decided to overturn it? What do you think USF would do in that case? Well, it's, it is an executive order. Uh, which means that it's a, it's an it's was President Obama's interpretation of existing legislation that had been passed uh, by Congress. Congress could pass new legislation, new legislation, but Trump could veto it. So he's in a pretty strong position to do what he wants on DACA. Mm -hmm. Well, before there was DACA, we had undocumented students at the University of San Francisco. Uh, we could, in the future, have undocumented students. We have to be careful that, that no federal money goes directly to those undocumented students. But we have endowment monies, we have gift funds, uh, we have benefactors who would step up to help these students. Uh, so we would just go back to the way we were doing things before President Obama signed DACA in 2012. So what would you do if federal immigration officials showed up at USF tomorrow asking for all students' information, trying to find undocumented students? So there is this uh, a federal law called the Federal Educational Records Protection Act, FERPA, uh, which is why you don't have, which is why we can't send your grades to your parents every semester. Yes. Because <laughs> if, you're, if you're over the age of 18, you have the right to privacy. And there's a federal law that puts us in the, in the position of responsibility. So for example, the registrar, the registrar's duty as a registrar is to protect the privacy and the security and the accuracy of the record. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we would have to comply with a subpoena. We would have to supply with, uh, uh, you know, uh, we would have to 
comply with a search warrant, uh, but that has to be issued by a judge. And it has to be in the in the context of a criminal investigation where the police can present evidence to a judge to indicate that a crime has been committed. Other than that, you know, we have an, a, a moral as well as a legal obligation to protect the privacy of the records. There, surprisingly, there are some students at USF who voted for Trump and are in support of like this radical change they think he's going to bring. What do you want to um, say to these students at USF who feel like their views aren't respected or aren't listened to um, and felt that they were ignored during the election process at USF? Well, I would say to the students who, who voted for, for Donald Trump, you know, you're welcome here. This is your university. This is your home. And it was a very emotional election. Uh, it was an election that where, you know, there was a lot of hyperbole. Uh, it was an election where there was, a you know, certain campaigns, you know, each campaign tried to play off of emotions uh, and, uh, and prejudices and, and even unconscious biases. I, I would say that it's very important for our students to feel that this is a university, we're a very diverse university, including ideologically diverse, uh, and students need to learn while they're here how to engage in civil debate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think that many or, or any of our students would disagree about what a just society looks like, ideally. Uh, we can disagree about how we get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can disagree, you know, people can respectfully disagree about means to the end, but I think we all need to agree on the end. And the end is, you know, a, a community where every single person is deeply respected. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've had a single Republican professor at USF who's come out. Well, like, what, what are your comments on that? Is how did that happen? And what about students who are Republican? Do you think they feel alienated at this school? Well, I've had, I've had some communication from a group of students called, I think, Students for Liberty. Yes, and, Young Americans for Liberty. Yeah, and I've had uh, one young woman come to see me uh, because she had voted for Trump, because uh, she you know, agrees with his uh, pro-life stance, and she doesn't agree with everything he did or everything he said, everything he stands for, but on some important issues. And she was feeling like she didn't have a safe space to talk about why she voted the way she did and, you know, what... You know, you have maybe you agree with Hillary on some things and you agree with Trump on some things and then you have to choose. So, yes, well, generally in the United States, um, the professorate tends to be more progressive politically. Uh, That would be even more true in arts and sciences than it would be in schools of management. Do you think the university attracts professors with a with a on a spectrum of ideology or does does it mostly lean to the left? I think our faculty would probably be representative of the professorate for the country as a whole. Um, it, it is a fact that m- more uh, people with a progressive political agenda are attracted to PhD programs. Uh, people with a more conservative uh, worldview oftentimes are, are more attracted to an MBA and a business career. And so, I mean, it, those are just really large sociological trends. Mm-hmm. So do you think that's an issue at USF that professors lean one way or just how it naturally is? I think it's how it nat- naturally is. And, and I, I think it's a strength of the university um, that faculty can uh, 
The faculty are very good here at educating a very diverse student population, and that includes some ideological diversity. asked Father Fitzgerald if he would reflect on an incident that occurred in a USF dorm during the spring of 2016. A student had put up a Trump campaign poster in his window, which faced the rest of campus. The university's RAs held a meeting to discuss the poster after some of them suggested that it was disturbing and should be taken down. In the end, the student's RA gave the student the choice to take it down with the knowledge that it was upsetting the student ended up complying. So I don't know the, the specific incidents, but I, I would hope that, you know, we as a community, you know, uh, was Justice Frankfurter, I disagree fundamentally with what you're saying and I'll defend to the death your right to say it. You know, that's a pillar of our democracy that we can, you know, we allow free speech and we allow, you know, uh, encourage the petition of government for redress of grievances and freedom of religion, freedom of the press. These are absolutely fundamental to, to our democracy. So a student who uh, wants to put up a Trump poster should be, you know, can do that. Um, we just in this particular election cycle. Uh, because of uh, some of the rhetoric that was used by some of Trump's supporters and certainly some of the rhetoric that was expressed by people at some of his rallies, that there was legitimate fear on the part of, of many people about the social forces that were being unleashed uh, by this Trump campaign. And we've seen, you know, the, the number of synagogues that have been, you know, uh, bomb threats have been, or graffiti or, you know, and the, the kinds of... Uh, you know, people ripping uh, veils off of the heads of, of Muslim women riding in public transportation. You know, there's been a, a real peak of uh, intolerant behavior across the country uh, before and especially since the election. Uh, you know, as we get a little bit f further past the election and we begin to settle in, it becomes, you know, all the more important that we as a university here at USF double down on our values. We have to continue to say, okay, we have to see everything through our mission. We have to see everything through our values. Our values don't change. They haven't changed. They're not going to change. We are who we are. And that should give us enough confidence that we could say to a young person, hey, if you want to vote for Trump, you can vote for Trump. But can we have a cup of coffee and talk a little bit about some of his <laughs> um, ideas? That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, no, that's very true. Yeah. So it's fair to say then that you don't think that students are being hypersensitive about this issue. You think that there is cause for alarm and it's understandable that they think that further discourse needs to be had with Trump supporters. I think that there were people's emotions were very raw, especially because, you know, all of the political scientists were saying, like, Hillary's got an 86 percent chance of winning, you know, and so it was such a surprise, such a radical surprise when she lost the Electoral College, not the popular vote, but when she lost the Electoral College, it was it was a shock. And, and it was sort of um, conceptual dissonance, you know? There was this, people didn't, it didn't make sense. 
that that this person could be elected president. It didn't make sense. And especially if people felt that they were a member of a of a community um, that was in some way targeted or in some way vulnerable, that heightened their fears and heightened their anxieties. And, you know, emotions are morally neutral. We feel what we feel uh, and we can't control that. Uh, it's only through dialogue and through a sense of reassurance uh, that, okay, I am in this vulnerable community, but the larger USF community is kind of around me and standing with me. Our DACA students, you know, they felt so supported uh, by the vast majority of, uh, our, of our documented students, uh, whether they're international students with visas or, or you know, native-born or domestic students uh, with U.S. citizenship or residency. Going back to the um, night of the election and the surprise that happened inevitably, um, what was kind of your reaction? And then what do you think the reaction was of the community in the following days and weeks? How did, what did you observe? Very surprised. <laughs> very, very surprised. And it was really, you know, in, in some ways Hillary lost rather than Trump won because she didn't get the turnout in Michigan, and, you know, a couple of states. There were a couple of states where she just didn't get people to come out to vote. Mm-hmm. And that's why the election went the way it, it did. Um, we could talk about, you know, the, can- the campaign she ran. And we're also waiting to see, you know, what the Russians did. Mm-hmm. We're waiting to see, you know, what the FBI is able to uncover and the rest of the, of the intelligence community within this country and also, you know, the uh, intelligence uh, communities of our allies. And, and so there's still a lot that needs to come to light. On March 20th, 2017, FBI Director James Comey informed the House Intelligence Committee that the agency was investigating links and collusion between members of the Trump administration and Russian officials. While no physical evidence has been released, the investigation is ongoing. This is one of those circumstances. I have been authorized by the Department of Justice to confirm that the FBI, as part of our counterintelligence mission, is investigating the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. And that includes investigating the nature of any links between individuals associated with the Trump campaign and the Russian government, and whether there was any coordination between the campaign and Russia's efforts. As with any counterintelligence investigation, this will also include an assessment of whether any crimes were committed. For our students to be change agents, for those students who want to resist this administration and be those change agents, what's your biggest advice to them? to do so. For those who would resist, want to yeah. resist the, the administration. Well, I say, you know, we have to stay very informed and we have to, you know, we have to be careful about the channels uh, uh, where we're getting our information. Hmm. So on the one hand, you know, we want to go for really big, well-respected, you know, New York Times, Washington Post. But, you know, we should also read the Wall Street Journal or we should also, you know, once in a while watch Fox News or, you know, we should not retreat into or if we watch Fox News all the time, we should once in a while watch, uh, uh, you know, MSNBC. Um, But we should try to get, you know, views from multiple vantage points um, so that and for example, the other day, you know, we have Fox News saying we have absolutely no knowledge about any, 
you know, wiretapping mm-hmm. <laughs> by the British intelligence of Trump Tower before the election. You know, so so being informed, but being informed from from a variety of perspectives. Um, the second thing then is to uh, engage in symbolic prophetic actions. symbolic prophetic actions, whether that's the Women's March, you know, whether that's um, pamphleting and leafleting, you know. So we need to be learned advocates uh, for change. Do you think that there's an issue across university campuses of students not wanting to hear a variety of opinions? Well, I, I do think, and I wouldn't say that it's just campuses. I think there's something in North American culture now and I think it has to do with the collapse of um, media. So, you know, when I was your age, there was this guy named Walter Cronkite. The Vietnam War may have been fought halfway around the globe, but television brought it into our living rooms. As the casualties from that conflict grew, so did America's uncertainty. And you would put on the news in the evening, and more than half of the TV sets were, you know, listening to Walter Cronkite. And he was absolutely respected. And he was absolutely, you know, loved. Uh, and the evening when he came out against the war in Vietnam, you know, that's when the whole, you know, that's, that's when history pivoted. Um, there is no Walter Cronkite today. There's no, there is no national media figure that commands that sort of broad, broad respect. And what's happened instead is it's uh, fractured. It's like this balkanization. And so people are not watching television, broadcast TV at all. They're you know, streaming or they're on websites or, and they're getting their news from Comedy Central or they're getting their news from different sources. And people are retreating more and more into very small little ideological enclaves. And then part of the, the comfort of that enclave is that I'm only listening to people with whom I already agree. Then when I venture out of that and I'm in a different situation where there are people who have a very different worldview and don't understand mine, I, I, I experience that as very hostile because there's no overlap between my worldview and their worldview. So I, that's something here at USF we can work against. We can help people to say, you know, my worldview is different from yours, but there is overlap. And we should look for those areas of overlapping consensus rather than retreating into these very, very small echo chambers where I'm only listening finally to my own prejudices and my own you know, comforts. Yeah. So, so you're kind of saying that the way to break that kind of um, that divide, that fracturing is through communication? Or how do you think we, I mean, not just us here at USF, but like how how do we, I mean, I, th- I think that that media landscape is not going to change. It's not going to go back to Walter Cronkite, right? It's it's only going to go forward. So how do we, how do we adapt to it? I mean, the big danger is not, is that we do have a new Walter Cronkite, but he's big brother. I mean, that's the big danger. Um, so I'm, I'm willing to, 
I agree with you that we're going to continue to live in this sort of fragmented media landscape for, for quite some time. But I, I would say that, you know, a couple ways here at USF, you know, one is in the classroom. And in the classroom, you know, faculty need to curate conversations where they really do get folks, you know, what do our Chinese students think about all this? What do our Indonesian students think about this? What do, what, what do our Israeli students think about this? You know, we're, we're 94 countries on this campus today and 49 states of the United States. So there are a variety of points of view here, especially, you know, one out of five of our students is, is international. So one out of five students is looking at the United States from outside. And those are really valuable uh, vantage points. And we should really, uh, the domestic students should proactively reach out to the international students and say, what is, you, what is your media back home saying about us? You know, and, and what, were, what are the things that surprise you? What were your preconceptions about the United States, about California, about San Francisco? And then which of those have borne out and which of them are being, you know, nuanced? And uh, so that. So I think we need to complexify purposefully and, and willfully complexify our worldview. Uh, so I mean, we've, we've structured the education here to really help our students gain this much more nuanced, much more complex worldview, and also develop the confidence, the confidence to, to step into these other life worlds. Uh, the immersion trips, you know, okay, let's, we sent 90 or 100 students on, I think, 10 different immersion trips over uh, spring break. Yeah. yeah. So you're talking about really the, the communication and the exposure between groups of people to create a better understanding of each other's lives profound, to, yeah, prof- to yeah. remove the fracturing. Profound learning experiences, profound learning experiences that push me well beyond my preconceived notions and my more childish worldview and propel me into a mature adult worldview that accepts the messiness and complexity of reality mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than, you know, because I think what a lot of what we're talking about with these ideological worldviews is people not wanting to face the complexity of reality. So they retreat behind a very simple grid, you know, and if we could just fix A, B, and C, everything is going to be great. podcast where we tell the stories of university community members affected by the Trump administration. You can listen to more of our work at Trump101podcast.com and follow us at Trump101podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Special thanks to President Father Paul Fitzgerald for sitting down with us. Thank you to the University of San Francisco Media Lab for providing the studio and equipment. And thank you to Tinzin for graphic design and Maloney for music. You can view more of their work at our website, trump101podcast.com. News clips are provided by CNN, Fox News, NBC News, and CBS News. Thank you to our listeners. Tune in next week to hear our interview with a USF student who passionately supports President Trump and will defend his beliefs despite being in San Francisco's liberal bubble.